distinct drama, fresh and original. As well as bringing you great interviews and reunions with the people behind some of our favourite TV programmes and films of the past, every now and then on Distinct Nostalgia, we like to bring you original drama and comedy. And so especially for Christmas, we're delighted to bring you an exclusive comedy drama trilogy by the highly talented Carl Chetty, with a star-studded cast over three parts. Soft Centres, Hard Centres and Dark Centres. And this is Hard Centres, with Sir Derek Jacobi as Frankie and Imelda Staunton as Millicent. Morning, Hamilton Chocolatiers. Millicent Mudd speaking. Mr Koslowski, it's been ages. Well, I'm supposed to be retired, you know, but I'm back in the basement in my own little chalky grotto. <laughs> well, no, I had an SOS from Mr and Mrs Hamilton just before the Christmas rush. Six months on, they can't get rid of me like a bad stain in a motel sheet. Speaking of staying, that grumpy brother of mine, he's back upstairs with even shorter hours than before. But instead of a hard stool, Frankie's got a nice little chaise long behind the counter to purchase Kalita's ridden derriere on. Very Laura Ashley. Oh, that's my breakfast pinging away in my kitchenette yonder. Speaking of creature comforts, how are your little shih tzus? Oh, oh, well, I've only got one canary left and all. So, do I send out your hard centres or is your dishy chauffeur coming to collect them? Oh, Marlowe's in pest control now. Here, send him in to deal with that rat in an apron Frankie who's neither use nor ornament. You know I'm divorced. (laughs) No, no, no. There's no man in my life unless you count the toothless flasher who hangs around in our front doorway begging for liqueurs and showing moi is truss. <laughs> Darling, I've no social life whatsoever apart from this. Do you know who my best friends are? Mr Muscle and Jay Cloth. <laughs> Here, are you asking me out on a date, Maximilian Koslowski? Oh, I've never been for a ride in a rolls. Frankie will turn kryptonite green when he finds out, so him bloody right. <laughs> um, hmm? T- oh, 2.30? Uh, well, um, I can't Skype off as much as I'd like to today because the Hamiltons are having yet another summit meeting. Uh, ooh, who's it with again? Oh, let me see, let me see. I had the names written down on the back of me people's friends. So, so, oh, oh, yes. It's a Mr Takashita and a Mr Fukumoto coming in. Hmm. I took the call, you see. Getting fluent in Japanese, I am. Konnichiwa. <laughs> oh, go on, look at me. Oh, flatterer. <laughs> well, all right then, sweetheart, I'll squeeze you in. Frasani only, mind. <laughs> I know your sort. <laughs> Bye, duck. <laughs> oh, I feel like a hand grenade that's just been pulled. A hot date on a hot day. <sighs> it's all platonic, of course. I'm too old for hanky-panky. I'd rather get hot with a bowl of malagatawny soup. Oh, Mr Koslowski's a lovely dinky man, though. Are they... <laughs> He's a bit like, um, oh, was it Mr Bean with man boobs? Now, let's have a gulp in that mirror. Oh, Max Factor will have to rescue me Vizog again. And the rest of me, I think from the neck down, needs a trip to Sketchley's. Well, never mind his boobs. 
Mine will be first in the queue for the full treatment. Oh, the last person to see my dynamic duo let loose in all their glory was Dr Bellamy up the general. Oh, she got all uppity when I said, I want a red carpet and Steven Spielberg banging his clapperboard up this breast screening. <coughs> Doc's got no sense of humour, just like Frankie. Still, he's had his fair share of heartache, poor bugger. Oi, Tatum, you've had your titbits. Now, don't you go taking liberties. The Hamiltons take liberties when we and Frankie are in. They're in that back office now, plotting and planning some mischief. I'm determined to find out what it is by the end of the day. And I don't know why they have to have so many meetings and a small concern like this. Lately, it's been like the UN, with people coming in and going out. I said to Mr H, I said, Here, you can take Selfridges and you can take Harrods, but don't take liberties. <laughs> Oh, I see Frankie's new panic button works. He's been flooded with customers again. <coughs> yeah, i better go up and help him to serve both of them. Oh, and I was just about to start writing that air letter to my son, Nick. Although he phones me, texts me, it's, it just ain't the same as seeing his biblical little face. Oh, see, I'm pining now. Mm, oh, I miss the bones of him. I mean, Nick's nearly 40, and yet I picked up his old school blazer today, sniffed it, found a walnut whip and a woggle in his top pocket. Bless. Mr Robinson, don't forget your complimentary token, sir, for a cup of hot chocolate downstairs. <laughs> I'll keep Millicent occupied. Madam won't mind serving Captain Scarlet, though. He'll leave her a tip. Airline pilot he is. Last time he came in, she asked him for free tickets to the USA. The gall. I wouldn't mind examining his cockpit, she once said to our new girl, Usha, who turned redder than her bindi. Master Hamilton started that cafe malarkey. He came on the scene a few months ago. Hot foot from uni, as he calls it. A few books under his armpit and he thinks he's bloody Mensa material. Born with a silver canteen of cutlery in his mouth, he'll never know what it's like to go for a job interview. All this affluence handed to him on a plate. Oh, 20 odd, but you'd never guess. He's about as grown up as Pinocchio. Thank God I never had a son like him. <laughs> Dominic's his name. But we have to call him Master Dominic or Mr Dominic. Let's talk about upstairs, downstairs. Oh, the whippersnapper's voice hasn't even broken properly. Yet barling a bit of bum fluff on his chinny-chin-chin, I don't think he's started shaving. And yet we have to bow down to him. I remember the day of his bar mitzvah. The Hamiltons gave all the staff luncheon vouchers to mark his coming of age. What his bloody man had had to do with my ploughman's bap and Millicent's coronation chicken panini, I'll never know. Lord, one day he'll take over this emporium. He's already being groomed. I said to my sister, I said, I don't know why you're licking his little body. He'll probably get rid of us old fogies and have a right shake-up. Well, that's what they do when they take charge, isn't it? Might round up all his mates to work here. <laughs> Bob the Builder and Fireman Sam, no doubt. Guess where he is today? 
Legoland. Well, I'm so chuffed, because it only spoiled my fun. <laughs> you see, from behind this counter, I've got a crystal clear view of the newly refurbished hairdressers opposite. Now, where are my binoculars? Edward Scissorhands, they're called. Sandwich between the uh, betting shop and the dry cleaners. Oh, just seeing all the girls milling about in their flimsy black and white outfits gives me a... a tingle. Oh, yeah, not in a voyeuristic, peeping Tom manner, you understand. I do realise I'm old enough to be a granddaddy, never mind sugar daddy. But last month... I was remembering my late missus, you know? Having a really bad day. Thinking that... Ivy and me would have been celebrating our ruby wedding anniversary with, uh, well, say, cotton chips and a bottle of cider. <laughs> oh, I felt so low, so bereft. When one of the hairdressers breezed in, waving a £50 note at me. The girl, well, no, she wasn't really a girl, early 40s, I'd say, was a native of Spain. She asked me for some change, and while my back was turned, fiddling at the till, she let out an excited yelp. My favourite, she said, glancing at a mountain of almond creams on display in front of the counter. I'll be back later. Well, I'm sure I can spare one, I said. We exchanged warm smiles as I handed her the notes. Your hand's so soft, she said, and skipped out of the shop. I started singing to myself as she dashed back into the hairdressers. <laughs> you know, it might sound soppy, but Maria Martinez made me feel alive again. And only two other women have ever made me feel that way. She was like an instant cure for depression, a tonic that should be available on the NHS. Here, Frankie, what are you so happy about? You're supposed to be grieving. Millicent shouted up the stairs like a foghorn, her antennae monitoring my every move, as per usual. It's like being analysed through a bloody microscope, I yelled back. Every cough, every sneeze, every fart, she roared, laughing her head off. How typically coarse. Later, my hairdresser came back. I, I didn't recognise her at first. She dyed her hair auburn and was wearing Levi jeans, if my bifocals serve me right. What's the smallest box I can buy? she asked, her brown eyes twinkling like topazes. She indicated empty pockets, which reminded me of something sad Charlie Chaplin might do. I'll rustle you up some samples on the house, I whispered, winking. She looked so grateful, you'd think I'd offered her a great beluga caviar. She told me that she was new in London and was keen to do some sightseeing. She wanted to see a show, but couldn't think of anything she would fully understand. Oh, she'd be lost at the mousetrap or Shakespeare. Oh, even I'm lost at Shakespeare. And most big West End musicals, you had a story threaded around the songs. So I suggested Stomp, 
as I had read about it in a tourist guide left behind by some New Zealanders. All crashing bin lids, that sort of carry-on. What Maria suggested, we went together, as her roommate was off touring Canterbury. The Tuesday we planned to meet was her day off, and... I wish I'd spoken more quietly to her when we arranged it, as I'd be subjected to a torrent of caustic comments from Madame de Pompadour down south. Hookers lower the tone of Hamilton chocolatiers, Millicent said over lunch. We won't earn the royal warrant that way. The only tart I wouldn't mind in this here establishment would be custard, jam or treacle to go with me early grey. Don't make a fool of yourself, Frankie Finch. There's no fool like an old fool. Yes, through that door, Mrs Suzuki. I ain't surprised she needs the bog after three mugs of my hot chocolata. Worse than my necklace when he was a kiddy-widdy-winky. <laughs> oh, wonder how he's getting on living out in San Francisco. He's due back to visit his old mum, long overdue. Got married last October, he did. Oh, it was great seeing two edible hunks on the wedding cake. Me and his fella, Scotty, get on famously. Or I should say, infamously. <laughs> He's got scrubbed male model looks, just like a marine in one of them old American films. Well, sometimes I feel a bit cheated about the fact that I won't have any grandkids to carry on the glamorous mud name. Unless Nick and Scott decide to adopt, of course. Alternatively, they can do such clever things these days, scientifically... I don't know all the ins and outs, but all they'd need would be a willing female. And Nick knows a lovely-looking lesbian lab technician from Cockermouth who once did some research in a sperm bank. I don't think she... You know, she looks like one of them cats, you know, from Cats, the musical. Apparently, she's seen it 88 times. Changed her name to Miss Cheryl Cat by Deed Pole. Lucky she weren't hooked on them vagina monologues then, isn't it? <coughs> Mind you, Nick and Scott would have to decide who'd, you know, who'd, who'd do the honours. suppose they could always toss for it. <laughs> anyway, the happy couple went off on their six-week honeymoon to Mauritius. Stayed in the same hotel Prince Andrew and Fergie did on theirs. Ooh, I hope it's not a bad omen. I don't think so, because they've known each other since their university days when Nicholas done his photography and that. His other half's a cinematographer. Maybe that's why we get on so well. I used to be an usherette at the Roxy. Fell in love with Mr Farley Granger in Rope, I did. Now, that's not as kinky as it sounds. With Frankie, it was Miss Rita Hayworth. There was no one like his Rita. She was nothing like his wife Ivy, of course. Just after Ivy passed on, I stayed with him. Well, we was both retired and... Well, lonely. I'd hear him gabbing in his sleep. I could only hack it a few weeks. We used to have the occasional tiff. Why break the habit of a lifetime, I say? Frankie turned into a bit of a bookworm. Large print library books all over the shore. I was forever tripping over a Geoffrey Archer here and a Dick Francis there. Apparently, Dick was Ivy's favourite, just like the Queen Mum. That's over a year now. Well, I just couldn't leave him on his tod at the start. Oh, no. He was all shook up, like a newlyweds mattress. 
Probably really went into himself when Ivy went. Understandably. She's not coming home, he used to say. Stroking her threadbare reclining chair, which always reminded me of something lethal out of Sweeney Todd. Oh, poor Ivy. She dashed over to Canada for her sister's funeral and snuffed it herself. I mean, I've heard of double weddings, but... But to think Frankie willingly paid for Ivy's flight to Ottawa, totally out of character. Remember, we're talking about the bloke who attended my beautiful wedding in a pinstripe suit from M&S. Old Skinflint only went and returned it the following week. Obtained a full refund he did, despite the sales assistant finding confetti in the turnips. <sighs> I understand Frankie and Ivy was arguing over something trivial when the bad news about her sister came. Ivy had wanted a kitten and Frankie hadn't. Adamant he was, reckoned a moggy would trigger off asthma. And he was concerned about the price of cat food and vet bills. Anyway, he, he waved Ivy off at the airport. He didn't know he'd never clap eyes on her again. You see, quite sensibly, Ivy decided to stay in Canada a fortnight, you know, to make the most of her trip. Well, though it was a sad occasion, she thought she'd catch up with her cronies over there. She hadn't been for decades. Of course, Frankie and Ivy had had them over here, including that sister Nancy, who I met twice. I never liked her. I believe Frankie and Ivy spoke on the blower once, just the once when Ivy rang from Ottawa to say she'd arrived safely. Well, phone her, I said a few days later, when he actually complained that he missed her, her omelettes. Too dear, he snapped. Scrooge. I'll see her soon enough. Of course he regrets it now. I believe Ottawa was minus 25 that winter. Ooh, even though it's humid today and my coffee creams are turning into cappuccinos, I get goose pimples just thinking about it. Lake Ontario freezes over and turns into a skating rink. Now, now Ivy didn't bang her head doing a Jane Torville, poor woman, no, she... Pneumonia, it was. Cough, cough, cough. Worse than me when I used to smoke for England. Followed by a quick exit. They had the funeral over on that side. Thought it best. Frankie stayed here. No, not because of the airfare. He was... Oh, no, he was just... Too distraught. Would have been too traumatic for him to travel. I might have lost him an older tinker. Anyway... He left it to Ivy's Canadian mafia to deal with the funeral arrangements. Trust old Mr Francis Finch to get a free funeral out of it. He ain't cried yet. And you know why? No closure. He's just frozen. Like one of them Canadian ice sculptures they have during the Winterlude Festival. I'll cope, he always says. Well, <clears throat> we'll see. Talk about stiff upper lip. Protective prickles come out like a porcupine. He talks to his little kitty cat about Ivy. Dotes on that furry bundle of joy, he does. Reminds me of an old-aged child. Oh, yeah, he got Ivy a kitten as a welcome-back surprise. Just two days before she drifted on. Tortoiseshell and white. Can't even meow properly, but has mastered the art of the litter tray. Well, just. Ivy's fluffy pink slippers are still under the table where she left them. Her kitten sleeps on them. Leaves the odd message. 
Your mummy would have loved you. Frankie says to Yentl. That's a funny name, isn't it, for a pussycat? But Yentl was Ivy's favourite film, apparently. Like it wasn't the bitch, I suppose. I'm not an outgoing man at the best of times. But the day I had to meet Maria... Well, you must realise I, I was pretty rusty, you know, with the, uh, the fairer sex. So I found myself doing some last-minute research. During my lunch hour, I'd nipped into Waterstones and ended up dipping into self-help and relationship manuals. Just imagine. Honestly, you think at my age I'd be a man of the world. Truth is, the older I get, the more terrified I am. Of the unknown. Well, very occasionally I'm courageous, but then dissolve back into me insecure self. A bit like Mr Oddball. His real name was Eddie Constable. Regular customer, came in every Friday. Poor lad wasn't blessed with many, or should I say, any redeeming features. His mouth was a funny shape, like the scary kind you carve out of a pumpkin at Halloween. A concord nose occupied most of his scabby, gaunt face. And his mousy hair was always covered in dandruff. When he rummaged in his grubby tracksuit bottoms for loose change, a little snowstorm would land on the burgundy rug in front of the counter. And don't ask about his halitosis. According to Millicent, Oddball was closer to cesspit than Brad Pitt. But I was never so critical, because for five minutes... He made me feel like the most confident person in the cosmos, simply because he was worse off than me. Sometimes I wouldn't even hear him coming into the shop. He could have been standing here for ages whilst I was stock-taking, or immersed in my pool's coupon, just not having the gumption to make his presence known. No small talk, no eye contact. He'd just stare at the grandfather clock, a mahogany panelling through the entire transaction. He's someone nervous in front of me. One muggy afternoon, a bit like it is now, I had the door wide open as the air conditioning was on the blink and a huge exotic bird flew in, just as I was wrapping up old Ball's caramel. Apparently, our feathered friend had escaped from the pet shop next door but one. Damn great thing it was. No idea of the species, but it did a very good impression of a pterodactyl. It went berserk trying to find an exit, banging its beak on the tinted windows, damaging our chandelier and missing the doorway every time. Millicent heard the commotion. She raced up the stairs just as Big Bird landed on Oddball's head and covered him in... you know what? Well, my old sister sounded like the laughing policeman. I'm glad I'm wearing me tenor lady, she said. Even I had to laugh at the lad's messy predicament. But a humiliated oddball absconded. His custom lost forever. I wasn't jeering at him. I mean, he, he was somebody's son after all. But even if the Pope had stood there entombed in bird muck, I would have been amused. Never saw him again. But a few months later, his mum, who was also his doppelganger, turned up. Uh, November it was. I remember because of the uh, poppy on her lapel. Ed loved coming in here to see you, she stated. His illness finally caught up, but he's at peace. So, no more teasing.
She said he'd had leukaemia. A shock to me. I didn't even know he was ill. Sadly, she drew a dog-eared diary out of her Macintosh pocket. It's not exactly Adrian Mole, she said, clasping it to her bosom. She passed me the chunky volume, insisting I read it. A lot of pages were blank. In fact, the only thing Eddie had recorded was how decently I treated him. Me. And to think I'd christened him Oddball. I felt so small. Wretched. Deep down, I've always felt sorry for the misfit because I identified with him. Poor Eddie. I'm not as shy as he was, but I still don't know how I found the nerve to meet Maria. Miss Maria and I decided to meet at 7pm outside the vaudeville down the Strand. A stickler for punctuality, I had time to kill, so I went into Stanley Gibbons, the philatelists next door to the theatre, for a browse. There were lots of elderly clients in the store, brandishing their magnifying glasses, getting into a real lather about the latest philatelic offerings. This is where I fitted in, I thought. Not with Maria. I remembered what Millicent had said. You can't handle her. I wanted a scarper. But then, how could I face Maria again if I stood her up? No, I had to go through with it. Who dares wins. I stood outside the theatre, and before I had a chance to look at my watch, Maria emerged from the foyer, looking like a goddess, in a cream dress, not unlike Marilyn Monroe's. But she didn't have any wind, you know, to blow up the outfit, unfortunately. <laughs> anyway, when I collected our tickets from the box office, Maria offered to pay. Now, Millicent will be surprised by this, but I told Maria it was my treat. Well, Maria shrieked with glee. Kiss me on both cheeks. If I'd told Millicent that, she would have asked if I was tying my shoelaces at the time. Me and Maria decided to find our seats in the stalls, row G, 15 and 16. Twenty minutes to curtain up. Silly me. I was tongue-tied. Fortunately, young Maria broke the silence. Through pigeon English, she managed to convey that earlier that day she'd crammed a lot in, a trip to the planetarium, a ride on the London Eye, and a visit to an art gallery to see a... what? A Salvador Dali exhibition. She opened her handbag, took out her mobile, and began to text someone called Santiago. I couldn't resist peering into her bag. Inside, I spied... Predictable young female paraphernalia, purse, makeup, tampons, keys, mirror, and a gold lighter engraved with the letter S. Perhaps it belonged to this Santiago. He could have been her boyfriend. Or hubby, I thought. Probably built like a brick shit house with my luck. Millicent had said it would all end in tears. Perhaps Millicent was right. I should have steered clear. Maria fanned herself with her programme as we watched the seats fill up. Eventually, the lights went down, and stomp began. I stifled a sneeze, and I groped round in the dark looking for a handkerchief in my trouser pocket. I touched Maria's leg, accidentally, and then, no 
patted it, apologising profusely. Oh, but that only made matters worse. Wriggling and squirming, she leapt out of her seat, cursed me in Spanish, disturbed a party of school kids, and indeed everyone in the auditorium, as she bid a hasty retreat, in tears. Goodness knows what she thought I was up to in the dark. Try explaining that you were after a hanky for your bloody hay fever because you'd forgotten to take your medication. Oh, Frankie, don't like me sunbathing outside the shop because I can keep an eye on him. <laughs> it was too warm to be stuck indoors. Oh, it's just like it was three summers ago. Gorgeous evening it was, and I'd just been to a barbecue with Frankie and Ivy at our cousin Betty's bungalow out in sunny Southgate. And Frankie and Ivy left early as Ivy had one of her legendary me-grains. I stayed on. I'd eaten far too many chipolatas and had had me fill a blue nun, so I felt a bit merry, shall we say. A couple of hours later, I dragged my carcass off to the bus stop where I waited and waited for a red miracle. Just when I was about to headbutt the bus shelter, this old jalopy pulls up some geezer, offers me a lift. <coughs> I just ignored him. Then he mentions Napoleon brandy and ginger ale, and me ears prick up as I realise it's Mr Faraday. The middle-aged bloke used to work at my local off-licence. He knew my tipple well and I used to flirt with him, asking if he had any nuts to go with my liquor. He'd always been very polite and before I knew it, he'd opened the passenger door and was belting me in. Oof, his sweaty stench made me nose twitch, but as we sped off, the demon drink must have started working because I nodded off. Eventually, I woke up and found myself out in the sticks. It was still light, but there weren't a soul about. Mr Faraday was just bringing the car to a horse. Where are we, I asked, with violent hiccups. He was silent. Menacing. He looked at me, turning from a mild-mannered acquaintance to a mad, staring animal. All I could see in his wild eyes was pure evil. I felt like the entire cast of water shipped down on the receiving end of a shotgun. I unfastened my seatbelt, jumped out of the car and I legged it. He chased me. I tripped and fell while I strained my knee badly and as he stood over me he was foaming at the mouth and then he was stomping about like Rumpelstiltskin. I thought, I am a goner. I prayed so hard and I held up my rosary beads. It was, ugh, it was just like something out of Dracula and all that was missing was the flipping garlic. Anyway, Mr Faraday shrunk back and you know, he came out of this insane trance. He whispered, oh, sorry, and fled, just driving off sharpish. Proper little James Hunt. When I found my bearings, I hailed a taxi. It was home within the hour. I never reported Mr Faraday to the police. I knew he was sick in the head. I do feel guilty about it now, though, because I read a few months later in our local gazette that he'd had schizophrenia and he'd only assaulted an AOP in her allotment shed. Mrs Kathleen Barry. Mm. She'd become a recluse, she'd been so traumatised. I could have been that pensioner. So, I'm... A I'm having second thoughts about meeting Mr Kozlowski. Different story if he had his chauffeur in tow, but it'll you know, just be the two of us, and I'm, I'm not I'm quite conquered my fears yet. I'm a bit too old to be afraid of jumping into cars with strange men, but better to be safe. 
Oh, well, must shift me carcass before them Hamiltons come out of the office. Sleeping on the oh, job, frankly. What clear off, Millie? Oh, you want to go easy on that chamomile, sweetheart? Oh, I like your new hat, sis. I'll slap you in a minute, you cheeky <laughs> run. You know it is my hat, it's my hair. Sebastian just done it. Incidentally. Yes, and what's that dirty look for? Your senorita's gone, but not forgotten. My senorita? What did you do to her? Show her your erogenous zone? <laughs> oh, what are you insinuating? You take a girl out of the theatre and suddenly we don't see her again. I ain't no Miss Marple, but I suspect foul play. Oh, what do you mean, foul play? That hair lack has addled your brain. My lips are super glued. Unusual for you. Your motor mouth usually stays open longer than Mr and Mrs Ammons all night mini-market. All right, all right. You asked for it. Your girl's gone back to Sunny Seville along with her treasure trove, including young Sebastian's gold cigarette lighter. Yes, and my wallet. Fob watch and wedding ring, if you must know. Told you she was a... Never mind. Give me a buzz if you get more than one customer. Oh, afternoon, Mr and Mrs Cedar. You can tell the time by them. Out for their little stroll. Still holding each other up. I must admit, I do grow envious when I see fossilised couples like the Cedars who seem to fit together like a matrimonial jigsaw. Couples who've been married for centuries. See, why weren't Ivy and me allowed that privilege? Why? Oh, it's Ivy's birthday soon. I do miss her. Every minute of the day. I miss her. Without her, I, I, I just exist. Not that we were joined at the hip mind. No, not even when we did the supermarket run. We'd waltz down the aisles, holding our his and hers calculators, instead of holding hands. She's never been very tactile. I tried linking arms on several occasions, but she wasn't having any of it. She'd even push me away as if I was trying to poison her. <laughs> trying to poison Ivy. See, I miss not being a father. Not going fishing with a son or taking a daughter to a ballet class. Or the other way round, like Billy Elliot. No, Ivy and me missed out on her little one. Never tried. Well, it was rather tricky to achieve from sterile single beds, complete with hospital corners. And I didn't have a magic wand in my Jim Jams. We did sleep in a double bed to begin with. Yeah, in the early days, she'd warm her feet on mine. But, alas, her bag puss was to come between us. Oh, how I wanted to puncture that hot water bottle with a bloody sharp darning needle. Then we had to share the bed with her Dick Francis. Oh, Frank, I was forever coming across foreign bodies under the candlewick spread. And I don't mean Brigitte Pardot. Chance to be a fine thing. No, by foreign bodies I mean crosswords and crochet. Bed jackets and bed socks. Maryland cookies. Yeah, and chocolates from here, of course. She had an extremely sweet tooth. 
so she took advantage of the Hamilton quota. Dear Ivy was always stone cold, so it was like cuddling up to a reptile. Now her late sister Nancy, whoa, yeah, she was the antithesis. Unsurprisingly, they were half-sisters. Nancy came over from Canada for the Chelsea Flower Show and a few seminars one summer. A highly respected horticulturist. I picked her up from Heathrow, and when I saw her, my jaw literally hit the tarmac. Like in the cartoons. A vision in vermilion, she was. I suppose the only thing I didn't like about Nancy was her matching seven-piece crocodile-skin luggage. Rather obscene and extravagant, I felt. But then, nobody's perfect. It was the first time she'd been to this country and the sun had got his hat on. As the minicab drove along, she said she'd expected England to look dreary like a Lowry painting. Yeah, she stayed with Ivy and me for, oh, a month and had no inhibitions. Oh, she'd walk out of our bathroom with a fluffy snow-white towel round her and cover us in wet kisses and bear hugs. Once, the towel slipped. Whoops, a daisy. <laughs> oh, the only flesh I want on display in this house is tonight's liver, Ivy yelled. Nancy just tossed her coppery locks and laughed like a hyena on heat. Can't remember where I left my fig leaf, she replied, reminding me of my pin-up girl, Brita Hayworth. I don't jump into bed with just anyone, Nancy said, when I finally succumbed to her feminine charms. Oh, the sex kitten. It was a bit small. The single bed, I mean. So we went into the spare room, which was monopolised by an inflatable lilo. Now, because I'm the perfect gentleman, I won't tell you what occurred next. But... When Ivy returned from her cake-decorating class, Nancy and me had to camouflage our guilt. And Nancy was truly disgusted with herself when Ivy presented her with a special maple leaf-shaped cake to take back to Canada for the whole family. Nancy hasn't admitted anything about her son, Rainer, but me and the boy, well, let's put it this way. You can't tell us apart. Here, Frankie, come outside. I've got some red-hot gossip for you. Millicent, you can't be serious. Well, Mr Frankie, they're making a replica of this gaff over in Tokyo. A shop like this in Japan? Blimey, you catch on fast, don't you? I blame Dominic. Whatever next. And brace yourself. The Hamiltons and son are selling this place. Oh, Millicent, I, I can't live without the Hamiltons. They're, they're my oxygen. But just picture Takashita and Fukumoto chocolatiers written up over that door. Yeah, you'd need a lot of paint for the same. And I've been asked to go over to Japan, start them off. They just love me because I'm quintessentially English. Well, according to our master Dominic. I need a whole box of Rennies to digest this. Japanese are lovely, but I'm a bit too old for adventures. How about you, if the price was right? Go to Japan? Never in your life. But the sad thing is, there's 
nothing, no one to hold me back now. Oh, there's, there's me, and the, the, your cat. I, I didn't say proper goodbye to, to my Ivy. Sorry, Ivy, sorry. Oh, she's up there on your shoulder, isn't she? Like Mrs. Woody Woodpecker, isn't she? <laughs> I did love her. You, you love her, dear. Go on, let it out, let it out. Come on, come on, just let them tears flow. We'll get rid of all that sorrow inside. Time for a hug. That's better, that's better. Thanks, Billy. Oh, you silly old fart. What are you? No, I'm, I'm fine now. Of course you are. I will make that trip. Definitely. I will. No, now you are being daft. You ain't never been abroad. I just can't see you flying across to Tokyo. Besides, Takashita and Fukumoto ain't invited you yet. No, not Tokyo, Millicent Mud. Eh? Ottawa. Oh, that's good, because you, you'll find closure if you visit the place Ivy, you know. Ivy and Nancy. The sister? I just want to see Nancy's son, Rainer, while I'm still able. Let me explain. I, 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 I don't quite know how to tell you this. I'll spare your blushes, Frankie Finch. You don't have to explain the sordid details. I already know about Rayner. How? How do you know about him? Confessions of a chocolatier. <laughs> I beg your pardon? You confessed all sorts in your sleep when I came to stay with you last year, in including setting fire to my Wendy house when we was nippers, arsonist. Yeah, but you weren't in it at the time. No, but Georgia the guinea pig was. I'm sorry about George. He looks like you, you know. What, Georgie? That dirty little rodent? No, I was referring to your secret son. Oh. Do you really think so? Mm, same mould, all right. Yeah, but he's a strapping, good-looking lad. Like you, once upon a dream. Not as beautiful as my beautiful son. Oh, no. Perish the thought. Dark horse, you. Are you very shocked, sis? Oh, I've had a while to get used to the idea. We all have skeletons, don't we? Not half. So, when are you off, Phileas? Uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, end of September. Oh, the fall. All them colours. Oh, I'm so jealous. Send us a postcard, eh? No, can't do that, Millicent. Oh, you bloody miser. Won't even write your baby sis I wish you were here card. Come with me, sis. Do what? You heard me, Mrs. Mud. Oh, I, I can stop off. Can I, I, I visit my necklace? Oh, Mr. Finch. As long as you pay your own way, of course. Ask your beautiful son to cough up. And he can treat me while he's at it. Mm, I knew there'd be a cat. Well, make your mind up, sis. Are you coming or not? You've been listening to 
Hard Centres by Carl Chetty. Frankie was played by Sir Derek Jacobi and Millicent by Imelda Staunton. Hard Centres was a Carl Chetty production. And listen out for the next in the trilogy, Dark Centres, coming soon over the next few days to Distinct Nostalgia. This programme was a Distinct Drama presentation.